Hello and a very warm welcome to Sporting Lives. I'm Jonathan Deutsch and each episode on this podcast I'm showcasing the story of somebody who has served in sport with distinction in whatever way that has manifested itself. In the case of today's uh, guest, well, there's a little bit more of a personal connection for me at least, not that he remembers it much. Um, and he's a man that's been there and done just about everything in the world of football. Brought up in Leeds, he represented the club with distinction in two spells. Trumped that with three spells at Sheffield United, played for England, Benfica and several other clubs, as I'm sure we'll hear. An extraordinary career that lasted over two decades. It wasn't just his talent, though, for scoring goals that makes him stand out. Wealth of knowledge about the game does as well. That's come from management, from ownership, from coaching, among other roles. And that, for me, made him a go-to man when I started to plan out this uh, series of podcasts. He holds the distinction, of course, of being the first Premier League goalscorer who made a total of 654 uh, appearances in leagues and cups. And with an intro like that... It's pretty obvious. I'm delighted to say welcome to Sporting Lives, Brian Dean. How are you doing? First of all, bring us up to date with with what life is like for Brian Dean right at this moment in time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to make things as easy as possible for myself. Um, you know, having been involved in football professionally for the best part of uh, 30 years, um, I've got to this point in my life where... You know, I want to try and not have too much stress. Uh, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and that having a young family is something that, um, you know, at one stage I didn't think that it was going to be for me. But, um, you know, things change. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm enjoying the benefits of being a parent uh, with young kids now when, you know, most of my friends, their kids have grown up. So, uh yeah, it, it, I'm just trying to be quite um, flexible with my time and, and what I do and enjoy anything that I'm doing at the moment. We'll talk about ownership of Kosovan football clubs, yep. uh, I'm sure, um, in a little while. But let's wind it back, if we can, mm-hmm. to the early days um, and you know your involvement in football and growing up around the area. I think Chapel Town was that way where home was as a, as a nipper? Yeah, that's right. I, I was born... Um, and raised in the area. Um, my, my parents were first generation Windrush. Um, had a wonderful. From, from which? From the 60s. From which country? Nevis. St. Kitts Nevis. and Nevis, but Nevis, yeah, the smaller island of the two. Um, had a wonderful upbringing, I have to say. You know, I didn't know any better or worse or whatever, but you know, it was always a happy time, you know, and, and uh, it, a lot of things revolved around sport at the time. You know, I had brothers and. Uh, friends, all the friends of my brothers who had aspirations of doing things, but it was very hard for uh, many of the um, local talent to break out of the area. I think culturally, you know, when you when when the people came from the West Indies and came and settled, you know, it's it's quite difficult uh, to integrate because you know people don't understand that you know didn't want to go into the area, didn't want to go out of the area, and. Um, you know, even the schools were kind of, everybody was kept in the same places, you know, Primrose Hill, Elmer's, Cowper Street. Uh, these were all schools that were in and around the area, and so there wasn't much of a mix going on. It was, you know, mostly black kids in those areas, and then, you know, so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of integration. Um, but I have to say, you know, growing up, you know, we everybody knows that there wasn't a lot of 
television and sport and so on. But everybody aspired. We had we had a place called the Rec at the bottom of uh, Jubilee. Do you know, I don't know if Jubilee Hall. I don't know if you remember that. At the bottom of Chapel Town. There's a um, where the Mandela Centre is now. There's a park. And every summer we used to go down there and there'd be loads of kids playing games. You know, everybody you know, had to adapt. You know, if it, we played cricket up against uh, lampposts. I'm sure most people did with tennis tennis balls and um, sticks. And, you know, we're in the, in the park playing a game called Wembley. And it was just it was a brilliant place to, um, to grow up for me. I didn't know anything better about any, uh, you know, that you know, the differences between people and so on. So, no, it was it was great. Had a went to um, Lincoln Green, which is uh, where St James's Hospital is now. And then I went to Elmhurst Middle School, which was in Potter Newton Park. And then I went to Allen Grange as a high school. So it was all quite normal for me. And, you know, there, there were things that made you realise you were different at times. But um, on the whole, no, it was, it was great. One of the things, I suppose, that made things me realise was at, at 11 years of age I went and started playing for Yorkshire Amateurs and uh, yeah that was that was a really good experience um, myself and another kid from Chapel Town went for the trials there uh, at John Smeaton School uh, a guy called Michael Phillips who's unfortunately is no longer with us um, but um, you know we made the journey together um, we were the only two black kids on the trial and from that day Dave Cam, I remember Dave was the manager and Dave came and said listen where have you come from guys and we told him and he said oh well listen from now on we're going to come and we're going to pick you up and that was really good that the you know the whole kind of club at the time Yorkshire Amateurs was fantastic everybody was brilliant um, and that's where my sort of like football story started really. Yeah great club obviously it was one of those clubs uh, locally that players aspired to go and play at. I, I was fortunate playing at Pudsey Juniors, which was yeah. similar. It, it prided itself on developing professional players. I could probably list you a few uh, of people who'd gone before me who always got highlighted at, at that club. And, and it was similar, wasn't it, at Yorkshire Amateurs? I remember in, in our sort of era, and I say this, folks, because... Um, it, it, do I need to say this? Go uh, say what you want. Well, we did play a few games together a long time ago. You can't remember it, but uh, that must have been that terrible. But that was for a, a Leeds sort of junior representative yeah. side where most of the team was from Yorkshire Amateurs, so no surprise that you lined up in that. Um, I remember the Johnny Johnsons and the Johnny Whites and the yeah. Bubbly and Goals. Carl Goddard. Carl Goddard. Um, yeah, in fact, Carl Goddard, there was one game that stands out. I don't think you would have played in this match, but we played at um, Middleton Clearing. Right. Um, against Yorkshire Amateurs a Saturday afternoon which wasn't normally what we'd do we used to play Sundays mainly from what I can remember and I just remember we were we were sort of delighted to come out of this game with a 4-0 defeat because this guy who I think we were about 13-ish at the time and he was like a man compared to the rest of us just paraded up and down midfield and he was a nightmare to try and defend against as I was trying to do um, obviously went on to Manchester United for a while and then ended up at Bradford City that's right I mean Carl was if there was one person at the time, you know, perhaps myself and him at uh, Yorkshire Amateurs, um, but Carl was, um, Carl, you could tell that Carl was always going to go far pretty quickly. Yeah, like you say, he was built like a man. He had all the muscle definition and everything. Um, had a great left foot. Rep- reminiscent of, would you say, Ryan Giggs, perhaps, in terms of technique? You're not far off, I don't think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I know that's a big call, but seriously, nah, it was. It was, it was that good. It was, it was that good. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, there were there was some, there was some good players. You know, we had um, I know Seacroft Colts had um, Jeff Clark, who's always been a good friend of mine. Jeff went on and got uh, an apprenticeship at Leeds United. Um, there was a couple of other players who who went out, but yeah, no, the, the standard was really good. Because he also did he not also play a few games at um, Seacroft yourself? I did. Yeah, yeah I joined Seacroft Colts. I think was it. Was it 15 or 16? One of the two, anyway. Huh? Long time ago. <laughs> that's when that's I can remember tr- attempting to play against yeah. you. And your name was in the paper you know, quite regularly at the time. Uh, you and Tommy Henson for scoring yeah. hatfuls of goals in the sort of Yorkshire Evening Post write-up. And it was great, yeah. wasn't it, in those days, to get your name in those sort of things as well. That felt like an achievement at the time. Oh, it was. You know, it's funny. I, w- I, went for, um, I went for a coffee with an old teammate last week, funnily enough, uh, Trevor Charner. And um, Trevor was like, "Oh, do you remember John Hewitt?" And you know, I remember playing against John. Yeah, quite John, often, John yeah. was pretty scary as a geezer. Yeah, he was <laughs> just. He was built like the proverbial outside yeah, toilet. Absolutely. Sorry, John, if you're. <laughs> no, John. John was a nice guy. Better to have him on your team, but uh, lovely guy. Um, I'd say um, some fantastic talent at the time. Um, yeah, it was. Amazing, amazing. And I better give him a mention uh, as well, one of your former Leeds City Boys teammates, Stevie Scholes, because he probably watched this now. Yeah. So, Scholes, yeah. Stevie Scholes, he had a, his shot was ridiculous. And it was, if you're an older person, you'll remember the mitre multiplex balls. And uh, <laughs> if you ever got caught with one of them, you'd, you'd, get, you'd have the print on your leg, you know. So, um, yeah, Scholes, he was a great player at the time. So, no, there was... A lot of talent came out of uh, local football at that time, and and it's, you know if I look back, my my two managers, David Cam, um, who was a real mentor for me, we, he passed away a few years ago, and that was really sad. Um, and his his son Chris Chris, who we played with as well, came over from Australia, um, so I got to see Chris again after perhaps thirty five years, um, and Dave Gabbert who was the manager at Seacroft um, and, and Dave is a real still now I see him now and again in the um, I see him in and around Otley and uh, he's a real student of football he loves football he stops me in the supermarket and I was talking about what do you think what's going on down at Leeds uh, and the, the thing is is um, Dave was one of those guys who I remember when I first joined Leeds and he, he used to go to the games and um, I learned so much from Dave you know, and he he would give me an honest assessment of what he saw in me and in performances. And uh, one of the things he pulled me up on was when when I first went to Leeds, there was times when I was, you know, I was making my run into the box and I was going past the front post. And um, I think part of that was because there was times where, you know, I was lacking in confidence. So I'd make my run, and instead of perhaps holding my run and having the goals, all of the goals to aim at. And, and run across I'd made that run quickly hoping to get the first ball uh, and Dave actually kind of pulled me one time he says look Brian he says y- you want to hold your run a little bit more you know so that when the ball does come across you haven't just got a small window of opportunity with the goals you can look at the whole of the goals and and you know it's those atten- those levels of detail you know Dave probably won't remember that he said that to me but it's something that I remember and even as, as somebody who came to the club for a lot of money, it, it stayed with me and it reminded me that this is what I need to do and then it does affect, you know. So nobody can tell you that you can't, you know, even though myself, I, I ended up 
in the professional game. You know, Dave was giving me sort of like bite-sized bits of information that stood me in good stead for the for my career. And I can go and give that little snippet of information to a centre forward now, and I guarantee you, in some cases, he won't be getting told that. You know. At professional level, and interesting that you mentioned people like Dave Cam and Dave Garbutt. Um, we're blessed, you know, as juniors learning our sport, that there are people willing to give us their time for nothing. And it's it's not uh, it's not great, I don't think, to criticise people who do that. But there are just yeah. some who, who raise it another notch, aren't there? There's something about them. Obviously, Dave Cam himself played professional yeah. football, yeah. Scunthorpe, but at Leeds United as well. He used to play a bit of cricket with Chris actually, yeah. rather than football. Yeah. Uh, good good opening batsman. Mm. Um, he'd have been quite useful in your little games uh, <laughs> back there in Chapel Town, uh, where he turned out. So it'd be great to great to talk about those old days. What was it like then, growing up in in Chapel Town in the sort of seventies and early eighties? Well, it was fantastic. I mean, like I said, we we didn't have a lot in the in terms of um facilities and so on so we had to be resourceful you know so like i said we we'd have i remember when it was the summer and uh, you had wimbledon on the box what we used to do is along the uh, the the end terraced house is what we do is you get somebody drawing a chalk mark right across the the, the sort of like the level of of what it would be in, in you know in at, at wimbledon yep. and that was the net and then you'd play up against the wall until the, the owners of the house came out and told you to move on, you know. So that that was that was the uh, tennis taken care of. We used to do things like we used to make our own bikes. Um, not sure where some of the parts came from sometimes, but, um, you know, we always used to find um, the parts to make, you know, good bikes and, and so on. We played a game called Champ, which consisted of eight squares and you had two touches and you had to move up and around you know, all of these things were, you know, people were being innovative at the time. And that, that sort of thing stood you in good stead. I mean, I remember being, um, I, the expression I was going to use is probably not broadcastable, but quick off the mark, shall we say. You know, when uh, when you were leaving your defender for dead in football <laughs> matches, yeah, finding space. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a, again, I don't know if it's down to my parents or what, but I was certainly blessed uh, to a degree in, um, at that level. Um, where I was relatively quick and that's where I got a lot of my goals um, you know and holding my skills you know so at that time there wasn't anything you know we didn't have academies we didn't have all these coaches it was what you learnt you know from from your brothers or anybody else playing the game or you were grateful I mean my brother told me to um, what I need to do is I need to practice a game of Wally which was you know, you'd, you'd kick a ball against a wall and then it was somebody else's goal and he said, you need to play against right foot against left foot. And I, I ended up doing that quite a lot. And and what I found was by the time I was playing um, professionally, I could go either way. It didn't bother me. I, I could, if I was on my left-hand side, I'd shoot with my left. If I was on, on the right-hand side, I'd shoot with my right. And there wasn't any kind of differentiation between the two in the end. I could cross balls with the left as, as much as I could cross balls on the right and so on. So yeah, the, all of those... They call it 10,000 hours now, don't they? But, um, yeah, it, that, that's how it was in the day. OK, talk to me about, uh, you mentioned school and Alan Grange and all that. What were you like at school? Because you, you're a bright lad, clearly. So were you an academic bright lad? Or were you sort of no, dash to... out home as quick as I can <laughs> to get the football out? No, no, no. I was. I always, I always, it's funny because coming from the background I did, my, my parents were always, they had it hard and... Um, 
you know, they were always insistent that I tried my best at school and, you know, that I always tried. You know, I wasn't always as bright. Um, when I say academically, it wasn't so much. I, I always had the idea, but it was sometimes the application. You know, I, I, I was always quite bright, but, you know, if you asked me to do 10,000 words, I'd sort of like turn off after 50, you know, but, you know, I, I came out of school, I did okay. Um, I've always tried to develop myself and my mind, and I think sometimes it's about putting yourself into uh, situations that you might not necessarily be comfortable with in all, all the time and, and adapting as a result of that. And, and I think football allows you to meet some very interesting people uh, from different backgrounds, and it's about being able to go and um, hold your own in any company. And I've, I've been in front of dignitaries and different people from different sports and so on, and... You know, the, the, I've noticed sometimes when people uh, talk to you or when I was playing so much, they would be quite intimidated by you and so on. I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, at this uh, 52 years of age now, um, you know, the, the secret is just always to be yourself, whatever you do. So when you eventually get this... Um you got a trial at Leeds United first, didn't you? I think when Alan Clark was manager, the bet that didn't work out for whatever reason. You might want to expand on that. But of course, then uh, Doncaster, and I think you told me um, when we were talking about doing this podcast that you had to write for that trial yourself. You can't really imagine that in in the days of internet and email these days, and scouts everywhere, and these academies and all the rest of it. Um, but that was the way it was for you, the old-fashioned way. Um, but because you know, given the fact that you did that, mm-hmm. you clearly, clearly back to yourself to to get a to get the career that you did yeah i mean i i i just wanted i was desperate to be a footballer that's the only thing i wanted to do i mean when i was was that just a professional footballer or for any particular did you want to be a leeds professional footballer? i wanted to i know i was just wanted to be a professional footballer you know i never really had the opportunity to go and watch games at ellen road or whatever you know i i watched games on television you know i bought roy of the rovers and uh, I always, my ambition was to be on the sign please um, page of that. <laughs> that, that. And that sort of surprises me that you didn't go to watch that much because, you know, again, that snippet of you that I remember at 16, 17 mm. was very sort of, if you felt like you were really blinkered about the game and I would have thought that you would have been going to do that, but if you had your own reasons, clearly for not. No, I, w- I, w- I just spent most of my Saturdays and my Sundays playing and... Um, I never ever really got the opportunity to go to games. You know, it was simple as that. You know, some people who had apprenticeship who had signed for schoolboy on schoolboy forms, you know, they got to be ball boys and so on. But there was never really anybody who was, um, you know, I never got to go to games. Hardly ever. I can count on one hand the amount of games I went to as a as a kid. I think I went to um, I went to watch uh, Leeds versus Aston Villa and. Again, I remember that Leeds had lost 3-1 at home. Gary Shaw had scored. Terry Connor, who I grew up with in the area, um, had got some tickets for his dad and my brother and his brother. So that's you know the level of how many games well, I went to watch. Terry Connor, I remember the, the beautifully um, side-parted <laughs> sort of short afro. A bit like my side-parting now, I bet, eh? Yeah. Uh, well, I remember you with a, um, with a flat top in the, oh, in God, the I've had all 16, sorts. 17 yeah. period, yeah. yeah. I'd take um, that now. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just blessed, I don't know. Um, 
Anyway, it's great talking about the old days, as I say. But let's talk about the, the Doncaster thing yeah. um, and just yeah, getting your footing so, going in, in professional football. Yeah, so so basically what happened to me was um, I broke my leg when I was 16, uh, playing local football down at the record down at Chapel Town for Yorkshire Amateurs against Mandela Centre and... Um, you know, I was, I was. You used to have some tasty games against oh, the Mandela Centre on yeah, Scott Old Park. Some, yeah. Boy, those got. And I knew all of them, you know, because I went to school with all the guys. But it was, um, you know, there were some really strong, powerful boys. You know what I mean? And I remember at the time what had happened was I'd been put through, and um, I, I, you know, as I, as a ball went over my shoulder, I took a, a stride on, and then. I, I'd got tackled from behind and I remember going, spinning over and I could see my ankle flopping in the air as I as I came back on the floor and then I, I straight away I could feel the pain just gripping my ankle and realised that, I'd, you know, what had happened was I'd broken my tib, fib and uh, dislocated my ankle. And it was one of the guys who was actually a schoolmate of mine, um, which was really sad. Um and uh, yeah, it took about eight, eight months, seven, eight months to recover from that. And the first thing I did was because um, I still had this dream. I was obviously I was devastated because at the time everybody was. It was a year when everybody gets their apprenticeships and so on. And um, I uh, I actually wrote down to Doncaster for a trial. Written down to several clubs. I went down to Barnsley on trial. Um, didn't get a didn't get anything, uh, went down to Notts County, played in a game, and I did all these things on my own when, um, you know, you would, I mean, I'm not sure about going on a on a bus or a train <laughs> at that, if I look at it now, you know, it was something that, you know, to, to do that, it really showed that I wanted to um, actually play. Um, and I went down and, you know, I got a lot of rejection, went down to Bradford City, got rejected there as well when I was at Leeds, I went down to Leeds and at the time it was because I was perhaps the brightest prospect in the year group and uh, I was I was in a I was going on trial with guys who were two years older than me and so on and it was when was it uh Peter Barnes there? I think yeah, it was the year Peter Barnes got signed, signed. for nine hundred thousand pounds. So early eighties um, then. Early eighties. Yeah. Uh and um there was uh, Lyndon Simmons was there. There was a few other players I can't remember off the top of my head, but I was the youngest one. And it was very hard in that environment to really show anything and nothing came of that. So when I uh, I asked, I, I wrote a letter down to Doncaster asking for a trial and got a reply. And it turned out it was Dave Blakey who had been the chief scout at Leeds at the time. Uh, and I was overjoyed, went down there and he welcomed me um, with open arms. Billy Bremner was the manager. And um, John Benson, I think, was the first team coach. And uh, yeah, so so that was me. Steve Beaglehall was the youth team coach. And uh, obviously I went and trained with the youth team then. And as it happened, um, Billy Bremner got the Leeds job. Um, and he came over and I think he... Did he bring Mickey Nesbitt here from Doncaster? I can't remember. Can't remember. Um, but anyway, it was Dave Cusack who gave me my first contract. Um, and Dave obviously saw something, you know, I was very raw, I was long and skinny and, you know, and obviously there was a lot of development to um, take place from that point of view, but obviously I showed enough for him to kind of think, well, this this boy's got a chance, gave me my debut when I was 17. 
So that meant I didn't have to um, be an apprentice, which I was happy about because it meant I didn't have to um, do the changing rooms and all that stuff. I thought you were going to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so things take off there, and yeah. then, you know, you end up with three spells at Sheffield United, but yeah. the first one was, you know, stellar stuff. Yeah. Is, is that your golden period, if you like, in terms of your your memory? When you think back about your football career, is, is that the one that you go back to when... You know, maybe you've had a bad day and you're trying to get to sleep at night and, you know, you're trying to get yourself off with a good memory. <laughs> get off. <laughs> Just get yourself off to sleep okay, with a good thank memory. You. Um, I don't know, really. I, I've got some great memories um, all round. Uh, I think, obviously, that spell, for me... It wasn't about, it wasn't a job. It was just, I couldn't believe I was doing what I actually wanted to do. And, um, you know, when you, make no mistake, when you're in a position like uh, being a professional footballer, you you think that you're immortal. You think that you can't think about anything outside of what is going on in your life. It's that good, that's all you want to focus on. And that's all I did focus on from a, Maybe a point of view of this was just the best thing ever. You know, it was. It's a little bit different to now because there was. Um, you know, we weren't pampered anything like that, and I'm not saying that people are pampered now, but it was. It was tough, you know, and and we were tough. We needed to be resilient to get where we we got to. That's an interesting point, actually, because I mean, uh, we come from a generation watching the game seventies. Yeah. Leads, dirty leads, and all that, yeah. and the way the game was played is what I'm uh, driving at. Right. And when we were growing up in the 80s, yeah. so you start playing your professional career during that period, but yeah. then you go right through beyond all the diving around and yeah. the getting a card for having a look at an opposing player and that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, what, what are your feelings on all that? Was is football better as it is now, or was it better then? Uh, it's difficult. I mean, it's never good to compare the two. I mean. You look at what the pitches were like back in those days. You can't. It's incomparable. You know, managers would say that they wouldn't. They don't want their players to play on those pitches now because they'd be scared for injuries and so on. And that's because they've grown up with better facilities. It's as simple as that. Um, the only time we knew that we were at a good pitch was if we got to a semi-final as a kid growing up, because that's when you know you went to the county county pitch or whatever, and the the nets looked immaculate and you were kind of dreaming of scoring goals and so on so that's you know but now it's totally different because they have that they go into clubs now and the academy facilities are first class you know so uh, it's totally different it's probably not fair to compare but the game was a lot more physical in them days I do not like um, the rolling around and all of that kind of stuff I think that when I was um, when I was a manager, um, I, I, my players knew that I didn't want it because my view is that, that your players carry your identity onto the pitch, um, and if you have that mindset, you know, if you want to be the pantomime villain, then you know your players will act accordingly. You know, if you if you if you want, you know, okay, I'll give you an, I'll give you two examples. If you look at Leeds and Sheffield United now, and you look at the managers. And you say, right, okay, you can understand that the the players, that the personality of the managers reflects the way how they play, the way how they act. You know, it's as simple as that. 
and I've seen um, I've seen players who get away with things, for example, and it, and and perhaps that's a reflection of the coach that they work for. Um, yeah, uh, great times. Uh, just popping back to Sheffield United, um, and of course, all of that led to the first Premier League goal, which, of course, on the field at the time, you wouldn't have realised you'd scored, would you? Unless there was an announcement that is the first ever Premier League goal, well done, Brian Dean. No, no, no. I mean, I think the first time I realised that it was a um, that it was a first goal was when I was walking in at half-time and one of the guys come up to me and they said, oh, Brian, I think you've got the first... Well, you did get the first goal by about a minute or two minutes. And um, it never really dawned on me for a long time that it had any kind of significance. Um, and then I... I, lo- I finished playing and that's when people start coming up to me or maybe people were talking about it but you know I, I didn't really think too much about it and then the more the older it's become a bit of a legend thing where oh you scored the first goal in the pre-. I'm like yeah and that was so long ago you know it's- yeah but I mean if if it has got 100 goals in a season for Sheffield United somebody will score 101 one day they'll, they'll, yeah. that record is there to be broken and you right, can yeah. never break a first yeah you know it's funny I was I, I was doing a, I was doing an evening um, in Sheffield uh, last week and uh, they they had the first ball there so um, the, the ball from the actual game and uh, it's apparently you can buy it or whatever and um it's got all the signatures on from everybody there, and it's funny. I got two goals that day against Man United, and um, somebody came up, and I never even thought of this. This they said, "Oh, that's the ball." But just think, if you'd have got another goal, I actually had a goal disallowed, but I'd have had that sat at home now because I've got all my other balls at home that I scored hat tricks with. So that would have been there as well. You know, can you imagine that? It's worth a fortune, apparently. If somebody's going to pay it anyway, but yeah. Well, you've got it. You know, you can buy I haven't it got yourself. the first. God, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, it was, uh, still an achievement that nobody's ever going to take away from you. Yeah. As was playing for England, which yeah. came during that period at Sheffield United, which was clearly a reflection on yeah. on how well you were doing. You had that great partnership with Tony Agana. Yeah. Uh, it'd be remiss of us not to mention him because every time there seemed to be, I can remember watching Calendar and yeah. Look North and whatever yeah. else at the time, and it, it always seemed that Brian Dean and Tony Agana came in the same breath. Got a song as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, Tony was great for me. I mean, Tony's a couple of years older than me, but he was, um, I remember... The first game of the season we played Reading and my partner for the day was a guy called Francis Joseph and Francis got a uh, did his hamstring and Tony came on and obviously from there it went, you know, we went viral. I mean, I think it was maybe two, three games into that season afterwards that uh, we beat Chester 6-1 in what's the equivalent of the uh, League One now. And I scored a hat-trick in the first half and he scored one in the second half. So... I've got the match ball at home and yeah, I know, I know. Is he not a bit? No, no, look, Tony, me and Tony got a great relationship, as you say, and, and the good thing about playing with somebody like Tony was that if I wasn't scoring, he was scoring. And um, I remember at the end of that season, we, we got promoted to the championship, what is now the championship uh, with Wolves. And for the last kind of six or seven games, Tony actually carried me because I was... I was a 21-year-old boy, and um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that season. In fact, yeah, I got 30 goals that season. I was 21, 
and um, but Tony was seemed to get stronger and stronger and you know at the end of the season he finished with 30 as well but I do remember my performances had dropped off a little bit through you know tiredness and so on so it was good having somebody who was going to carry me and it was actually you know Dave Bassett actually said you know Tony's you know it's to be expected you're a young kid um, but it was it was great to have somebody there who kind of you know looked after me like that people watching listening can probably identify with this whatever level they've played and at whatever sport there's there's often somebody maybe more than one person if you're lucky who you've got a great rapport with it doesn't matter if you've not seen him for 25 years you drop back in right on the spot um whenever you next see them as if you've never been away would would tony be that man in in your eyes in your football career or the or somebody else yeah no definitely i mean tony's I, I, we had a chat the other day and you know i mean obviously if you look at it and you look at the clubs that i've played for i had a probably you it'd be fair to say i had a better career than tony but you know i, I we were having a chat and i said look tony you, you mean a lot to me You're like a big brother and you know, I always feel like I've got two big brothers. You know, but in terms of um, you know, away from that, that Tony was always and he's always somebody who, you know, I, whatever I do, I want I'll report back to him. I'm proud, and he's like he was a little bit taken aback to be honest. Because, but it's true. You know, when you've got that much respect for somebody, you know, and, and I, I said, you know, look, I, I you know. I really appreciate you as a friend and what you've done for me and you know it's it's a sincere friendship. I have other friends but um you know Tony was the first one and he's the one who kind of you know I always want to kind of be happy that he's proud of me as well. Certainly sounds like he is. Um and he certainly would have been I'm sure when you got the nod to play for England you walk out at the Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland June 1991 something like that. Uh, to play against New Zealand in your first match. But what was it like when you first got the call and, and what was it like working with, with Graham Taylor? Did you not like that? <laughs> Terrible joke. <laughs> I'm full of them. You're here all week, yeah? <laughs> um, no, listen, I was. Uh, I remember my, my first game for England was in a B International down at Watford against Iceland. And um, they had like, Something like a thousand Sheffield United fans came to watch me, which was unbelievable. Uh, and I played the second. I came on in the second. I think Tony Dorigo was playing, and Lee Chapman was playing as well. Um, and then we had a B international against Switzerland at Walsall at the Bestcott. Is that the new stadium, the Bestcott? Yeah. So that that was around the time that that, that stadium was built. And then the after the game. Um, Graham Taylor came up and he said, oh, I'd like you to come to Australia with us. And I've got to be honest with you, my first thought was I pooed in my pants because I was like, what? Me? You know, and I, you know, you had people who were there already established, like, you know, your Stuart Pierce's, your Des Walk, all of these guys, Webb, Gary Lineker. Um, you know, it was, I, I can't, I was just a lad from Leeds, you know, and it was like, what? Which surprises me a bit because you were, you know, um, I would have thought you were quite a self-confident person by now. Yeah, in your you know, yeah but, you know, I think I'd taken that many knockbacks um, during my time, you know, rejection from going for trials. I've been on loads of trials and, um, 
you know, there were times where I was on these trials and I could see that I was better than other players there, but they weren't interested in taking me on. And I was like, you know, so when you, you're never sure after that, it knocks your confidence. Um, but yeah, it, look, I mean, that's one of my failings throughout my career, I think. Um, I remember um, Gary Pallister told my brother, Tony, he said, listen, if your brother understood how good he was, you know, he could have done any, I could have done anything. And it, it's on reflection, it's, you know, there were times where, you know, my confidence was affected, like when I first came to Leeds. And then, you know, the first season for me was, it was a horrible season in that I, I found it really hard to to settle and, and you know, into the, the, the way the side played, how they wanted me to play and all the rest of it. And, you know, after a fair bit of self-reflection after the, the first season, I went home um, and in the summer I had an argument with my brother Tony and he said, listen, you know, you, you know, the way how you are, you know, you come in, you argue with me, you want to take that out on some of them who you, who you actually um, play with. And I, and I thought, you know, he's right. You know, if I've got issues, you know, if things are bothering me, that's where it should be. You know, don't take it out on your family, you know, and, and, I, and I went back and the second season I thought, listen, I am the centre forward here. I am the one who, you know, people should be serving things up for me, not the other way around. You know, I can't, I can't go and do somebody else's job, you know, and if anybody wants to kind of put that to the test, come and see me. And, that, and that's when my fortunes turned around at Leeds. So that was a, an attitude, a state of mind, really. Yeah, I guess. absolutely, yeah. and and you're right because I'd, you know, I'd done a lot already before I came to Leeds, you know, and I'd played for England, I'd done all of these things, and then instead of going out there and actually um, bossing it, I kind of thought, well, I'm going to go and fit in with people. You should never do that, you know, and 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 it was wrong of me. And if I look back now, you're right. I should have been because of what I'd done, because of what I was capable of doing, I should have been more demanding. And I think, as a centre-forward, you have to be that. You have to do that. So things became more successful at Leeds. Um, yeah. uh, we'll go with that while we are, because we were talking yeah. about England originally. We'll, yeah. we'll pop back to that in a minute. But um, that's that spell four years before you end up going back to Sheffield United yeah. and working alongside Howard Wilkinson. Yeah, I was at... I was at Leads for four years working with Howard, yeah. Uh, how was that? What was that relationship like? A um, bit indifferent, if I'm honest. Um, there were times where, look, I mean, I, I have the full respect for Howard, but, you know, there were times where I felt that I, was, I wasn't given, you know, I wasn't played right or, you know, look, he's a manager. At that time, I think, you know, you, you do what you're told. Um, but there were times... You know, for example, the cup final where, you know, I had uh, I'd scored two goals against Everton the week before. I got man of the match. We drew to wall. We played a weakened side. And yet still, I knew when I went back in that changing rooms that I wasn't going to be playing. You can't tell me, you know, as a guy, you know, if you ask me why we have a, had an indifferent time, it was because perhaps too mu- I was too much of a team player at times and... And, um, you know, that was one of the biggest disappointments of my life. What did, how did he approach that with you? I mean, was there a full and detailed explanation as to what his thinking was or was it just suck it up type of thing? Um, I think I knew. 
you know, I'd scored, like I say, in them days, you used to get this Barclays man of the match. I had a magnum of champagne right by my seat. Um, and, um, you know, the, I remember, like, we played a weakened team, so all a lot of players were rested. Um, and, you know, there's myself, people like Matt Tinkler, John Pemberton played. Um, I think Thomas Brolin played, if I, I can't remember. But anyway, we were expecting, it was at Ellen Road, I think we were expecting to kind of get beaten. You know, it was a time when Everton had the kind of dogs of war. That was Joe Royal had this team. And yeah, we, we drew two all. I scored two goals. Um, and when I came in at the end, I was really happy because I'd had some words before the game had started. Um, and um, I just could tell from the body language that I wasn't going to be playing. That is, uh, it's got to be very... Um tough to take so when they uh, when they go and play Villa in the final 4-0 yeah. 3-0 3-0 yeah. yeah my apologies I guess you're only human if you sat at the side or wherever you were did you actually go to the final um, you, but you're only human if you sit there thinking you know what do I care um, I think I cared but I was more angry than anything and I remember I remember one of the because the, the crowd gave the gaffer Howard, they gave him some ridiculous stick on the way back to the changing rooms. I remember they were singing, "It's time to go, uh, Wilco. It's time to go." And um, I was, I was really upset from a personal point of view because I felt that, you know, sometimes when, when things like that happen, you, you almost feel humiliated. And I felt humiliated the fact that I scored some goals and then I didn't fit into the plans for the final. I remember one of the lads, no, no names mentioned, had said, oh, I feel sorry for Gaffer. And I said, hang on a minute. I said, you know who I feel sorry for? Me? <laughs> you know, I said, I'd, I'd scored two goals last week and, you know, um, and, and basically I was, I thought, yeah, I'm having a go here. I'm not just going to sit here and just accept it. You know, I know everybody was disappointed, including the manager. And I suppose on reflection, you know, it's probably one of the most disappointing uh, things that's happened to him because, you know, he achieved so much at this club. Um, but, um, you know, that was a that was a day to forget for the club. And I know that supporters were upset. Um, and I'd, I'd got into my mindset then that, you know, if anybody... I'd, I'd, you know, I just thought if anybody comes and have a go at me about anything, they're just going to get it back because, you know, this isn't a time for me to be, um, you know, Mr. Diplomatic. You know, I am not in that mood. And understandably. Um, so so that's 1996, three years into your four-year stint there. Was yeah. that the sort of, if you like, beginning of the end of that relationship or was it, was it already? Well, I look, I mean, ordinary. if you look at the way we'd... Again, uh, another selfless act by myself. You know, we, we, we changed formations. And I'm not going to lie, you know, it was a bit of a masterstroke by the manager because we brought in Tony Bow and I played in a wide position. And, um, you know, I, you know, Tony came. Tony was in the system words. We played like a 4-3-3 fourth, fourth, three, three, um, rather than a 4-4-2. Four, four, and I'm not going to go into details of tactics or whatever but it worked for us we, we worked really well um, anybody who went out to Monaco will 
tell you that that was one of the best games, you know, that this, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, got to the semi-final at another time, but that was a hell of a performance, you know, with some very good players on our side. And we, we, we went to Monaco, beat them 3-0, and they had some French internationals in the team and so on. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, I, I played out of position. I did it for the team. And then I remember when the manager changed the formation again, he dropped me. And, um, you know, just kind of, for me, it was a, it was a, you know, took the mick basically. You can, you can, uh, you know, clearly detect that frustration in your, in your tone and the, and your body language there. Uh, and so it is frustrating, isn't it? It's your professional job to play in a certain position. You play out of position for the team. You don't get the opportunity to show what you can do yeah. in your rightful position, and then you get left out. Exactly, and it, and it happened a few times. You know, I ended up, I ended up doing doggies. You know, I mean, me, I'm six foot three, six foot four. I'm playing on the left wing because I can play with my left foot. I'm left, you know, I'm both footed and I'm I'm chasing I'm chasing fullbacks. You know what I mean? You tell me what what's better? You know, you you're going to get somebody and play to their strengths um and and give the defenders a problem or you're going to go and you're going to get that person to track back. You know, who scored all them goals. So, yeah, you can turn around and say, well, if you're playing in that position, that's what you got to do, but you know, you've got to be better than that. I'm sorry. Tony Bowie, you mentioned him. Yeah. He was a player. Tony was a great player, man. He was... Um, he did some things that were just... Uh, some, of the, some of the best memories I remember seeing him do things in training. He used to do things in slow motion, it would seem. Um, but he was... He was so explosive, and uh, I saw one of my favourite. I was telling somebody about this the other day. One of the favourite goals that I seen him score was up at uh, St James's Park, where we were under under the cosh for a long period of time against Newcastle, and we broke out on a counter, and long ball got paid into Tony, and he was the only one up. I think he'd sprinted past the centre back, and Pavel Cernicek had come out, and he took it round Pavel Cernicek, and from about thirty yards, he was running towards their goals with his hands in the air before he'd scored and then he tapped the ball in and I was like I tell you it was so it was it was amazing because if that was me I'd have just got there as quickly as I can focused but that was the confidence of the guy yeah. I mean that lead side that we had was I mean it was amazing you know Carlton Palmer in the midfield I mean talk about energy you know Gary Speed Gary McAllister you know, myself, Tony, um, Rod Wallace, sometimes Noel Whelan, you know, um, Gary Kelly, Tony DeRigo, um, and the centre-backs, John Newsom, um, Chris Fairclough. And Weather's still playing, Dave Weatherall. David Weatherall as well. Yeah. And that team was, the, the, the pace in that team was frightening. There was, you know, the second half of that, I remember... I um, one of the things that I did was I I'd been working with a fitness conditioner when I was at Sheffield United and that was one of the things I changed in my second season and uh, I went down and I started going to Don Valley and, and working from four o'clock to six o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays on my own I used to do the ladders I used to do I had a weights program I was r- r- lifting some ridiculous weights at one point something like um, two hundred pounds. I can't remember you being 
muscled up particularly, but no. But th- what had happened was I'd, I'd actually baggy shirt was it baggy shirt <laughs> baggy shirts yeah. Have you seen the shirts from there? <laughs> but now what? But the um, the thing was, we, you know, I was working with a guy called Ed Baranowski, and um, what actually happened that second season was I was working on my own down there, and then the lads saw how things had started going, and, and the first one to come down with me was Rod. And Rod said, yeah, I'd like to come and do a little bit more. And then, then we got others. Carlton came down, John Pemberton came down, Gary Speed came down. Um, you know, I think even David O'Leary came down for a couple of times as well. But the thing was, we were doing things that not a lot of other teams were doing. And, and that had started, I'd started working with Ed two years, two, three years previously at, at Sheffield United. And there's a, there was a time where we had four points at Christmas and we actually got Ed to come in. And this was Dave Bassett being um, very creative. And we, we started working on our strength conditioning and our nutrition. And for the second half of the season, we blitzed it. You know, we went from four points. I think we finished about 11th or 12th. And that's because nobody else was doing the kind of training we were doing. And we were, you know, I, I could see we're finishing games really strong. You know, my last game for Sheffield United, we beat, we beat Chelsea 5-0 at home. We beat Spurs 6-1. We beat somebody else five you know we we regularly used to beat all the top teams you know and so you're going to do you buy into that as, as a playing absolutely, squad yeah if you can see the results yeah so there goes the halftime whistle on this sporting lives with brian dean more to come in the second half and you'll be able to get that in a couple of weeks time so stick around for some great stuff about the latter half of dino's career and another spell with Sheffield United and also with Leeds, plus the likes of Benfica uh, and West Ham United. Loads more to come then uh, in part two, and you'll be able to find out when that goes to air by following me on Twitter on at SportingLives1 and at Jonathan Doidge, or of course subscribing on YouTube to the channel Sporting Lives with Jonathan Doidge, or indeed to Podbean if it's the audio version that you're listening to here and that is uh, the Podbean account Sporting Lives with Jonathan Doidge. Thanks to you for your company on part one. Hope you've enjoyed it and you'll come back uh, for part two then in uh, a week or two's time.